It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. Hey guys, it's Chris Cooper here. This episode of the podcast is going to be a little bit different. Over the last few weeks, I've been working on some really huge stuff, talking to guys like Mark Devine, Jim Wendler, Dr. Ryan DeBell, and I'm putting together some really epic content here. But this weekend, I'm getting ready to go away to the first Two Brain Seminar down in Charlotte, North Carolina at CrossFit Steel Creek, and I'm actually sitting in my garage gym right now in front of a fire. So if you hear the sound of the wind whistling down the chimney or you know, maple logs popping, that's why. I'm going to be sharing with you today one of the lectures from that new Two Brain Seminar called Affinity Marketing. I talk about this a lot in my book called Help First, but the point of that book was really to talk about the Help First philosophy and give a lot of different examples about how effective marketing can be used in a service-based business. Affinity marketing is a different way to look at the process of who is more likely to find, try, love, and stick with your service over time. If, while I'm doing this podcast, you hear me get a little bit out of breath during some portions, it's because I'm doing sets of pull-ups while I'm talking about this. And this is more than a dress rehearsal, but if this stuff doesn't resonate with you, that's fine. You can just excuse it as an old CrossFitter sitting by the fire, drinking coffee, and thinking. Affinity marketing looks at your clients and your future clients as a bullseye. But instead of radiating in from out, like you would in you know the thought of a funnel, where you're trying to attract as much attention as you can and then filter and filter and filter until you're left with your best prospects, affinity marketing works the other way. The first thing we're going to do is look very carefully at the center of the bullseye. These are you know the five clients who mean the most to us. They are the people who pay the most. They're the people who we enjoy seeing the most. They brighten our day. They make us happy. And I talked about our seed clients in a previous episode of the podcast, probably ideas. And, you know, the point there was take these people for coffee, uh, ask them three kind of silver bullet questions about your business, learn how we can serve them more. I think this is important for a lot of CrossFit gyms now because more and more, especially since my last episode called How to Raise Your Rates, I'm hearing from gyms who already have the magic number of clients. They don't actually need a single client more, but they're not making the living they deserve. And today I was asked, how do I save a gym who can't afford to pay its coaches? I'll tell you guys, there's no single bullet that's going to solve this problem. What we need to do is go right back to the root of our business. So the first step is to look at the center of the bullseye and ask ourselves, how much are our clients actually paying for our service? That's our average revenue per member. We'll talk about this in Charlotte too, but it's also included a lot in our ramp up course. The average revenue per member for your service has got to be high enough to support your goals. So if I look at 150 clients and I say, how much revenue do I need to make per client to create the kind of lifestyle that I want in a gym where I can still remember everybody's name and their kid's name and their pet's name, that's what your ARM target should be. This is going to be different for every gym, but if it's under $100, you're probably already in trouble. So how do we increase ARM for our existing clients? We do this through personal training. We do this through uh, specialty programs. And increasingly, we're doing it with gyms who have to raise their rates. 
But this episode is really called Affinity Marketing, so that means we have to talk about how to market to those people to increase ARM, and then how to spread out from there. Because these are the people who are most likely to stick with you the longest, it's really important that we consider the effect of novelty on their longevity. Are these people going to be CrossFitters forever? Well, I hope so, but if I ask a gym owner who's been open for longer than three years, are you still doing CrossFit? The answer is usually no. This is empirical, I know. There's no data here that I can spout to support this, but usually after a little while, even the novelty of the WAD becomes less novel. And so the gym owner and the coach drift down a different track. Maybe they focus on Olympic lifting or gymnastics or competition or something else. And the same is true with our clients. We should be able to say or expect that our clients will want to do the same thing. So specialty groups, allowing them to focus on one facet of fitness is something that we've done a catalyst for over a decade now. If CrossFit is the hub of our wheel, we can still work on gymnastics for about six weeks. We can still specialize in uh, deadlift for six weeks. Or we can even go farther to do like a West Side specific program for eight weeks. But when somebody's paying for a CrossFit unlimited membership, they have access to unlimited CrossFit classes. They don't have access to a West Side based program. They don't have access to a kids program or open gym. And I give a lot of rationale behind this in Two Brain Business 2.0, but suffice to say that if somebody is paying for CrossFit and wants to get something that's not CrossFit, you know, we're wearing our hat backward here. So boosting ARM means appealing to the higher value clients. In my gym, about 10% of my total client count generates about 38% of my gross revenue. And that's probably going to be the same in your gym if you give people the opportunity. Client spending falls along a bell curve where about 20% of your clients will always want to pay less for the service they're getting. But about 20% more would pay more if they saw the value or had the opportunity to do so. And so when somebody comes into our gym, we always make sure that personal training is an option and we always try to move them to small group or partner training now because that's the highest revenue per time spent for the trainer and some of the highest value for the time spent for the client. So that's specialty groups. That's personal training. If you've read about the no sweat intro, you know exactly how that intake conversation goes and we teach it verbatim in the ramp up program. The next sphere. So if we look at this affinity marketing as a target and our primary clients are the bullseye, the next layer would be the people with whom our primary clients have the tightest bonds, the highest affinity. Who do they have the tightest bonds with? Well, it's the people that they live with, their family, uh, you know, maybe it's their parents, maybe it's their spouse, maybe it's their kids, their boyfriend, girlfriend. In Two Brain Business, the original book, I talked about spheres of influence. Uh, under the Mavens chapter, I talked about some research showing that people are more likely to listen to the people that they live with first, the people that they work with second, and the people with whom they have a third place in common last. So let's focus on these people in order. Let's start at the bullseye, and now let's go out to the next circle. Who do our primary best clients live with? So every month, if we're building a marketing plan, let's identify three of our C clients, and let's call them our mavens. And let's say, who do they live with? So for example, if a woman has been coming to our gym for a little while and she's married with a husband and the husband isn't coming to the gym, we should be asking ourselves why. 
Obviously, she likes the service. Why wouldn't she want to share it with the people closest to her? And if she has a kid, then we should say, why isn't the kid coming? Now, the real question you're probably asking is, how do I get them to come? And the answer, the strategy, is always help first. So let's talk about this woman's husband. What do we know about the husband? What does he like to do, and how will our service help him do that better? Does he like to golf? How can our service help him golf more or better? And what information do we have to get to him to help him bridge that? So in the golf example, let's say that uh, the woman is 60 years old, and she loves coming to CrossFit, she sings your praises, but can't get that old guy to come in. We know he loves to golf. So why don't we say, hey, Maris, we love having you at the gym, and we want to make sure that Jimmy can enjoy golfing for as long as possible. Why don't we invite him in for a personal training session, and we'll focus on some golf-specific mobility. Maybe we'll do some uh, core rotation-type drills. We'll just do stuff that will help him make him golf better. And what's more, if he likes it, he can bring his whole foursome back, and we'll do the same for them later. Now, obviously, we've just earned the trust of our current client, okay, the bullseye client, the seed client, the maven by offering to help her husband. Then what we've done is we've bridged the gap between what he likes and what our service does. He's unlikely to bridge that gap on his own. He's unlikely to say, hey, I want to play golf longer, better. What do I need to do to get better? Unless he's trying to be a pro golfer. So we've bridged that gap for him. And that's where content marketing can help later on too. So if we invite Jimmy in and we say, hey, Jimmy, uh, our goal here is to help make you a better golfer. Let's do these few drills. And then at the end of the session, we'll say, do you think this is going to help you? Well, I'll tell you what, after you golf on Sunday, I'm going to call you and ask you if you felt better and if you did your homework, because it's important to me that this has some value for you. So we called Jimmy and now we've established a coaching relationship and it's a lot easier for us to say, would you like to come back with your buddies? Another example, let's say that we are working with uh, Mary again. And we know that Mary has grandkids, and the grandkids are 9 and 12 years old, and they play a sport. And we say, Mary, we love having you as a client here. You bring so much joy and light to this gym. We want to do something to thank you. And we thought, what better way to thank Mary than to invite her grandkids' soccer team in for a fun play night. So we uh, host a fun play night on Friday night. We invite the soccer team in. And we do a bunch of games, you know, American Ninja Warrior type stuff, CrossFit kids stuff, and the kids love it. Our job is to capture the kids' information, make sure their parents know how they can sign them up for CrossFit kids, and maybe send them some more information on how kids should train and how soccer players should avoid patellofemoral knee strain, stuff like that, things that will help them. There's two big opportunities right there, and I hope you, what you've noticed is, number one, that it's been approached with help first. You don't feel like you're selling anything. Number two, we are actually helping them by bridging their gap in knowledge between what we sell and what they actually need. We've demonstrated our value to them. If we're using the same client, Mary, and we're talking about affinity marketing, the next layer radiating out from the center is going to be the people that she works with. Now, Mary is 60 years old. There's a great chance she's already retired. And if that's the case, we'll talk about that in a minute. But if she's still working, let's say that she is a doctor and she works with a bunch of other doctors in the office pool. What I would ask myself is, how can I make Mary's workplace better? Now, if she's a doctor, 
she probably has a stressful workplace, and who doesn't these days? So what can we do to relieve the stress, to break down barriers between the doctors at the hospital or, you know, the uh, secretaries in the typing pool or all the nurses on the same floor, whatever? Well, we have this fantastic community-building space. That's what our gym is. You know that already. So why don't we say, hey, Mary, we love having you as a client, and we thought one of the best things that we could do to improve your life outside the gym would be to invite all your coworkers in for a fun night on Friday. So why don't we do this? We'll have a couple of fun little team building challenges and then we'll bring in a box of wine and everybody can just have a drink and kind of hang around afterward. Do you think that would improve their relationship by Monday morning? I'm betting it would. And if Mary is up for it, if she's the kind of maven that I'm visualizing in my mind, that's something she could champion. If that doesn't work, we could say, Mary, would it help your workplace if we came in and gave a free seminar on how to stretch at your desk, or nutrition, or how to relieve stress using exercise. And then, if she agrees that that might help, who should we talk to to get that rolling? In some cases, people will have that connection already. They'll be able to say, oh yeah, I'll bring my staff in. And this is why I love coaching entrepreneurs so much. We can really help them. They can really help us. The next sphere of affinity marketing is the people with whom Mary has a recreational pursuit, or she goes to school with, or she goes to church with, or some third place. Maybe she goes to the bar with these people, whatever. So we talked about golfing already, but let's look at what other hobbies Mary has. Let's say that she belongs to a book club. Why couldn't we invite the book club in to hold their meetings with us? What if she's an entrepreneur? Why couldn't we host town entrepreneurship meetings at our gym? There's a thousand ways to do this. What's important though is that all these people have enough of a connection with Mary that they trust her decisions. So when we are part of a group, we tend toward this thing called groupthink, meaning that we take on the personas and the decisions of all the other people in our group because we don't want to feel like, you know, the the guy that doesn't belong there. We don't want to feel like the outsider. We want to feel like we're part of the tribe. And of course, this can sometimes have really bad consequences by making you take on negative habits because your peers have those habits. But we can use this for the power of good also. And so if we're using this in affinity marketing, now the next layer of the sphere is these people with whom we have this loose but familiar social connection. So who does Mary hang out with outside work? Well, maybe she's part of a running club. And we can offer to host a mobility session for the running club on Saturday before they go out for their long run. And we'll do some knee, ankle, hip, lower back, uh, thoracic mobility. They can leave their car keys at the gym. They can run their 10 miles, come in and shower at the gym, and we'll be there waiting for them when they're done. When we're talking about this strategy, we're really talking about the start of a conversation here. So if you've been listening, you'll probably have noticed that none of these are a fast silver bullet. I'm going to meet you, impress you, and uh, my silver tongue will talk you into a membership. A membership in the coaching relationship is a very long conversation. Some of my own mentoring clients have been with me now for three, four years. The conversation goes on and it gets better over time. So if the conversation doesn't start with a big bang, rest assured that we're building as we go here. So with all these strategies, if the goal is just to start the conversation and not to sell a gym membership right away, you can be more relaxed and just coach these people. And eventually, 
they'll trust you enough to sign up. Let's look at this now from a conversational standpoint. And in Help First, I wrote a lot about who is our market, what do they want, how can we serve them. These are the important questions that a lot of people don't ask. Instead, they start from the other direction. They say, what am I selling? And then, who's going to want this? And then, how do I sell it to them? This is backward. What we should be asking is, who do we want to help? What do we know that will help them? And then, how do we reach them? So, let's look at Mary as a demographic here. Let's say that we really want to work with uh, 60-year-olds, uh, specifically ladies who are going to stick with us for a long, long time. And so the next layer of affinity marketing would be people in the same demographic as Mary, maybe without uh, whom she has any kind of connection at all. So how can we reach these people? Well, we look at what else this demographic has you know, in common other than just Mary being in it. They're all 60. They're all nearing retirement. What hobbies do they have? Well, there are several golf courses in town. There's retirement centers. Um, there are boat cruises geared at these folks. You know, what are these people buying? Um, they're buying, you know, again, golf clubs. In my city, they're buying skis. They're buying, like, the cruiser-type bicycles. They're buying walking shoes. And now we can say, how can we help these people the most? Well, uh, we can put together, like, a retirement seminar. So we could partner with, like, a wealth strategist, as I'm doing, and put together a health and wealth seminar. Uh, aimed at these older clients. We can put together a, a seminar on how to get ready for golf. So we partner with a local golf club or a golf store and we say, um, we're going to do this for free to help your clients get ready. You can show off your new clubs. We'll talk to them about fitness. We can do this with a pharmacist or a doctor. We could put on a seminar on like how to ease into retirement. Um, there's a number of ways that we can do this here. I chose the 60 demographic for all these examples because they're less likely to be on Facebook. And I don't want you to immediately default to advertising on Facebook when some of your best clients are not paying attention to social media at all. So now that we've met these people and we have an idea of how we can help them, let's walk through the conversation. Let's, let's talk about the process. So let's say that Mary's husband, Jimmy, comes in and we do some stuff that's going to help his golf swing out. We improve his range of motion, increase his mobility. We call him on Sunday and say, Jimmy, how is your game? And he says, you know, it's better. And you can say, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't get to go through. Would you like to come in on Monday for a half an hour? Do you have time? And if he says yes, then we'll say, great. I'll be looking forward to seeing you at 2 o'clock. And we can talk about training options then. Okay? So you let him know that there is going to be a service offering at this point. So Jimmy comes in on Tuesday, you help him out again, maybe you do a little bit of assessment this time, uh, maybe you give him a little bit of homework, and then you book the next session. What you're doing here is not selling as much as you are coaching. You're telling him what the next best step is to do. If he says, you know, I can't afford this, or I don't want to do this anymore, or, you know, I think I'm good, that's fine. You've coached him the best you possibly can, he's going to go out on his own, and you're going to pick up, you know, the next strategy in your marketing plan for the month. And that's why we do 10 strategies every month because not every one is going to be a home run every time. But if Jimmy likes it and you say, you know, Jimmy, there's about eight weeks left before the season. I think we could really make some progress before then. What do you say we get together for a one-on-one -on -one session about twice a week for the next eight weeks? And Jimmy says, what's that going to cost me? And you say, um, I'll work it out for you and get you a specific price, but it's less than the clubs that are in your bag, that's for sure. 
now what you've done is given him a price anchor and you've, you've put a price on your value that he has some context on. So we sign Jimmy up, we do some personal training, and then we say, hey man, you've come so far, um, you're really good at these things, you're seeing some improvement, let's talk about the maintenance phase. So when we're trying to move a person into the next stage, it's really important that we have a name for that stage, as if this is something that we commonly do instead of just making it up as we go along. When you have a name for a stage like that, or you know what's supposed to be next for a client and you're not afraid to tell them, it's a lot easier for the client to just fall in line with what you're doing. And again, that's back to groupthink. So let's look at this from another angle. Okay, so let's forget about the Mary and Jimmy example for a second here. And let's look at a client coming into your gym for the first time. Some of you who have read uh, Two Brain Business or Two Brain Business 2.0, you've read about bright spots, our intake process of behavioral modification before. But let me tell you what the conversation should really be. And if you have a friend who owns a small service-based business, this works just as well for them. The first thing you want to establish with this client is who are they and what do they want. Once you know what they want, you can prescribe something to them or not. If your service really can't improve what what they want, then send them somewhere else. You know, you'll make a friend uh, by sending them off somewhere else. The cool thing about our service is that we can improve people's lives in so many different facets that there's rarely a client that we have to say no to. Over the last 12 years, there have been some cases where I've said, here is a person who can help you better. And that's always wound up uh, coming back to me in the form of referrals from that person anyway. So question number one, who are you and what do you want? When you say to someone, who are you? It's going to take them a while to answer. And you're going to sit there and listen. You're going to write down everything they tell you. You're going to record their life story if necessary. This is part of the trust building process. You're going to take notes on a blank sheet of paper. From there, you're going to say, what does success ultimately look like to you? You want them to have a really clear picture in their brain. So if a woman, um, now she's 30, says, I really need to lose 20 pounds before the summertime to get into my bathing suit, now we know what's important to her and we have a clear picture of the outcome that she wants. Then we're going to start with, what are you already doing right? So the, the big emotional, psychological hurdle that most people have is change. They don't like to start new things because it disrupts their life pattern. So we need to get them over that barrier by showing them that they don't necessarily have to make a 180 degree change, that they're already moving toward their goal, that we're moving in parallel together, that they've already taken steps over the starting line, however you want to use the analogy. We want to start with, what are you already doing right? So we want this person, let's call her Beth, to tell us some steps that she's already taken toward her goal. Now, Beth might not think she's taken any good steps at all. So it might be up to us to kind of dig around and pry them out. So we'll say, Beth, um, are you packing your lunch every day? Uh, do you have a dog that you're walking at night? Um, have you tried other exercise programs before? You know, maybe it's just that you know what you don't like. Uh, are you golfing? Do you have a bicycle? Are you walking with your husband at night? Did you cross-country ski this year? Do you currently have a gym membership somewhere else? These are all positive things, okay? We don't need to be defensive if Beth has signed up for Weight Watchers because it's a good thing. She's paying attention to what she eats. She's exhibiting the behaviors that will eventually lead her to us, and it took me a long time to understand this. So after we've written down three positive steps that Beth has already taken, 
the next thing we're going to do is just throw one little breadcrumb on the ground in front of her. We're going to show her what the next step is. Beth, based on what you just told me, I think the best solution to your problem is three workouts a week, focusing on high-intensity intervals and strength training combined. I also believe that you need a solid nutrition strategy that you can maintain over the long term. Do you agree with that? Then we're going to say, here's how easy it is to take the next step. We're going to illustrate like just how she's going to bend down and pick up that breadcrumb. We're going to say, Beth, would you feel more comfortable doing this in a small group setting? Or would you feel more comfortable doing this one-on-one with me? Whichever option she chooses, it's up to us to reward her to pick up that, that uh, breadcrumb for her or help her pick it up and then show her the next one. A lot of you are already recognizing this as setting micro goals and achieving them. And the reason that we're making them so easy in the beginning is because motivation requires success. Let me say that again. Motivation requires success, not the other way around. A lot of us, and apparently every meme on the internet, believes that success requires motivation, that you've got to have the drive. And if you don't have the drive, you're going to fail, so buy this sports drink. The reality is, if we're not winning, we quit. So when Beth starts with us, be it personal training or small group, or maybe she's just trying a class today, she needs to feel like she can do this, like she's winning, like she has a thing. So after the first class or after the first PT session, our trainer will say to Beth, hey Beth, you know, you are really good at blank. You are really good at deadlifting. You know, I usually don't let people try deadlifting with weight the first time we're here, but you picked up 95 pounds like it was nothing and you looked great and safe doing it. Have you ever done that before? Yes or no, it doesn't matter. Well, Beth, what are you going to do next? So what we're asking her to do is to isolate what the next breadcrumb is going to be, the next podium that she's going to stand atop. Then we're going to say, hey, Beth, is there anybody that you would like to have along on this journey with you? So now what we're asking, Beth, is we're about to, you know, take the first several steps on this marathon. Who is going to be waiting for you at the finish line or who are you hoping to see in the crowd? And a lot of the time, maybe about 40%, they'll give us a name. Oh, I wish my husband would be here with me. And so we'll say, well, Beth, um, we want to help you as much as we can, and it's important that you have social support. So why why don't you give me your husband's email address, and I'll shoot him a message and just see if he'll come in. Even if they don't sign up, that's fine. We've established communication for later. We've probably added him to our mailing list, and with uh, Beth pushing him from one end and us pulling him from the other, there's a greater chance that he'll be coming in eventually and back to Maven strategy later too. Eventually, Beth is going to be ready to graduate into our full program, and that's going to mean more personal training. It's going to mean more group classes or a specialty program or whatever it is. But the important thing is here that Beth is setting goals by having success. So every time she does something right or something better or something for the first time, we're going to write it on a PR board, and we're going to take a picture of that board on Friday. We're going to go back into the office. We're going to call Beth. Hey, Beth, saw that you did uh, 20 unbroken double unders. Good for you. We're so proud of you. What are you going to do next? And then she'll give us another little goal. I'm going to say something else that a lot of sports psychologists would call heresy. Uh, This has been my empirical observation over the last uh, 15 years as a coach, and it's also starting to be borne out in 
psychological literature, is that it's more important for Beth to be having frequent small wins than it is for her to ever achieve that big overarching goal that she thought she had in the first place. So for example, um, maybe Beth says, I want to lose 50 pounds. And three years later, she hasn't done it. Okay. I have clients who are in this boat. They're gaining muscle. Um, they're getting stronger. They've dropped 30 pounds, but not 50, but they're a lot happier in life and they're going to stick around for a long, long time. 50 pounds is a huge goal and we need to chunk it down into these smaller little bright spots, these breadcrumbs. And if you've been doing that, what you'll notice is that as long as Beth is achieving something, she's happy. So on her first day, she'd probably never heard of a double under. She'd probably uh, had no interest in bench pressing 100 pounds or learning how to do a clean and jerk or running ever. She just wanted to lose that 50 pounds. But every time we acknowledge these little accomplishments and highlight these bright spots, Beth gets more and more and more attached to us. And so as long as the gap between these bright spots isn't too long, what we wind up doing is uh, creating anticipation. And anticipation is always more sticky than actually achieving the goal. You should probably write that down. Anticipation is stickier than actually achieving the goal. So who knows this and are using it uh, to their advantage right now? Think about Disney World. When you buy a ticket at Disney, you start going through like a bit of a line, right? You're not like in the park right away. You go through a transitional period. And uh, Disney's current CEO, I can't remember his name, um, he talked about this, this transitional phase where anticipation is really starting to build and it's key. Now psychologists understand that when we have a good memory of something, what we really have a good memory of is the anticipation or uh, what happened immediately after the event, not the actual event itself. So when you pulled 500 pounds, you probably remember what happened in the 30 seconds before you you know, went up to the platform. And you probably remember people cheering and the bar clanging when you dropped it and you punching the air. You probably don't remember the actual act like how long the barbell got stuck at your knees, how many times you hitched before you finally got it up. Ten years from now, you won't remember that stuff. But my first 500 deadlift, I can remember the minute before it and the minute after it clear as day. The minute before it was spent with my friends, uh, the Morgan brothers, you know, the huge guys, great powerlifters in the APF back in the day, firing me up and what they were saying to me. I can remember that clearly. And I don't remember the actual deadlift, but I do remember that the first time I got called for hitching and I turned and I flipped off the bar because I was saying to the weight, I'm coming back for you. I'll get you next week. But the judge thought that I was flipping him off. And so I remember being kicked out of the meet. Uh, and this was the Wolverine Open. I can't remember the actual year. Um, two weeks later in a U.S. federal prison, I deadlifted 510. And I can remember uh, the judge who was an inmate on a life sentence telling me, well, if you failed at 500 two weeks ago, put 510 on the bar right now. And I can picture this guy's face because he was missing a tooth or probably several teeth, but one of his front teeth anyway. And he had this forehead tattoo. And this is a guy who's never getting out of prison. And he was telling me that I was stronger than I thought and just to man up and do it. And I did it. And I remember what happened right after that lift too. So when we're talking about affinity with our clients, you know, looping back to the point here, it's important that we give them an experience right before the accomplishment and immediately after the accomplishment. 
we think that people just get pride and celebrate success by themselves. They don't. It's up to us to uh, amplify that success, to shout it from the mountaintops, to say, I'm proud of you. So when we talk about giving clients the best hour of their day, it's not actually the workout. It's the warm-up and the jokes that get told during the warm-up. It's the confidence of the coach. It's being told exactly what to do, doing it, and then high-fiving a bunch of their best friends afterward. We as CrossFit coaches, we have trouble iterating this to people um, because you know we're not familiar with the terminology. So we say, oh, our community is the best. But what you have to realize is that most of your new clients coming in are not looking for a community. They don't think they need or want more friends. So saying the community is great in our marketing message isn't always effective. Saying this is the best hour of your day might be more effective. Saying it's fun might be more effective. And calling yourself the happy gym is one of my favorite marketing strategies now. So the next layer of affinity marketing, I'll just review here quickly. So we've got the clients that we already have. We have the people who are closest to them, those they live with. The next people who are closest to them, the people they work with. The next layer of their influence, which is people with whom they recreate or have a loose social bond. And now it's people who are in the same demographic. That next layer is where we have to try to build affinity without actually knowing these people. So what actually builds affinity in a stranger? Well, a story does better than anything else. So what we have to do is tell the stories of our clients, knowing that when people come on our websites, they're looking to, say, to answer the question, does somebody like me do something like this? We want them to see a picture of someone who who reminds them of themselves. Let me take you back to 2007. We were playing around with this CrossFit thing. I was still competing in powerlifting and James Fitzgerald, OPT, won the CrossFit Games. OPT is a bit of a ginger. He weighs about 185 pounds at the time. He kind of looks like me. He's the same age and he's a Canadian. And when I saw him win the CrossFit Games with, I think it was a 465 deadlift, I said, man, I'm pulling 520 right now. I could probably win this thing next year. But he's also more ripped than me. And he looked like he was a lot smarter than me. And so I thought, man, maybe I can still pull over 500 and actually have a six-pack and not get tired uh, running a mile. So we started trying CrossFit. But the important part there is that I found a model for what I wanted. When somebody's coming to your website, are they seeing a model of what they want or are they seeing fire breathers? I think this was more a problem two years ago. Are they seeing client stories of someone who looks just like them, or are they hearing talk about this word they don't understand, community? You know, are they seeing pictures of a massive class? So client stories are super important to have on your website. If you look at how CrossFit rose in its media to prominence, there were really two strategies going on this whole time. The first was establish authority, you know, uh, teach people something new or in a different way or in a simpler method that they could understand. But the other was tell the story of people doing CrossFit. So if we're reaching this level in our marketing, the stickiest message that we can give them is not like 30% off our price or look how awesome this is. It's here's somebody just like you doing this. And I think you're seeing this a lot more on the CrossFit.com main page now, um, even though a lot of their media has gotten away from this. If you can show me a story of somebody just like me 
doing something remarkable. And then connect the dots between what they're doing and what I'm currently doing to show me roughly the path to get there. That path can become irresistible to me. That's called Lowenstein's gap theory. Some more psychology. So if you look at, let's, let's be analytical about this. Let's look at data. If you go on catalystgym.com and you follow the path of people from first impression to signing up committing and actually coming in for something, getting to that no sweat intro. Yeah, they'll look at the prices. They'll look at the schedule. Some of them will look at what is CrossFit. But about 70% of them book their call on the client stories page, meaning that's the last thing they looked at before they decided to sign up. That's what convinced them. So it's really important that a lot of your site focuses on your current clients, not you, not what is CrossFit. The next thing is a lot of your clients, a lot of these people in this outer sphere uh, might be nervous by the word CrossFit, or maybe not. The new you challenge, you can go back to the Tommy Hackenbrook episode if you want to find out what that is, uses the word CrossFit in its promotion. So the, in the Two Brain group, a lot of gyms have taken this new you challenge to the next level. Not only are they bringing in dozens of new clients like within a week, but they're keeping them. And that's, you know, I kind of think that was missing from the, the platform before. So what is it about this new you that's magical? There's a lot of Facebook niche marketing, and we're going to talk about that in a future podcast. But there's also a removal of barrier. So these people see this as like a challenge for uh, women who don't believe they could do CrossFit, for ultra beginners. And just like in Couch to CrossFit, you're seeing a lot of, uh, people who are at a completely different fitness level than I was even aware was out there. You know, five squats and they're done. What's important though is that they see others just like themselves doing this. And so we're getting back to client stories here now again. The best thing that you can do with social media is not to have like the most sophisticated ad strategy. The best thing you can do with social media is to brag about your clients, to tell their story instead of just talking about your story, what you're selling, what you have to offer. Talk about them. Let people make that cognitive connection. Uh, let them make that familiarity connection. Let them see, hey, there's a person who looks just like me doing this thing. And so the most important marketing that we put out every month is uh, telling our clients stories. That's a brief overview of affinity marketing. And my, my fire is going down, so my hands are getting a little bit cold here. So I am going to cut this off in the next few minutes, promise. I know this is a shorter podcast than what you're used to. But down in Charlotte, we're going to be talking about specific examples of affinity marketing and the help first strategy. We're going to be putting people in small groups, letting them brainstorm some strategies, and actually leave there with actionable marketing plans. This is a bit different from what I've done before. In the past, I've done a two-day seminar where I'm talking for about 16 hours, no joke. People are scribbling notes as fast as they can. I'm delivering them, you know, basically copies of my book written in a different way and hoping that some of it sticks. We're just throwing everything against the wall and hoping that they leave with a better business. I don't think that's the best strategy anymore. And so in Charlotte, we are going to be covering all the basics of building a business. Uh, HQ is going to be there with a camera crew to record this stuff. So if you can't make it, it's going to be on the dot-com site eventually. But then 
The next most important part is the free-form discussion that happens later. So what we've done is rent a house for the night, and a bunch of box owners and I will be staying there. Everybody else is welcome to hang out, and we're going to talk about the big questions. You know, what is actually going on with our gyms? How can we help the gyms around us? How can we preserve the movement, make sure that it lasts another 10 years? Some of the top thinkers in the industry are going to be there with me. You've probably seen them all over social media. Uh, Sherman Merricks, Laris Hutton, uh, Brian Strump, Josh Price, some really huge names. We've got the, the kid who was the youngest affiliate owner ever, Christian Aguirre, age 16 when he opened his gym. He's flying all the way from California to come in and just be part of this conversation. I know a lot of affiliates are just actually looking forward to this conversation more than anything else. And instead of focusing on the seminar content, what I've done is put brand new seminar content into the day, but really focus on the experience at night. I've got people driving from Canada for this. It's going to be pretty epic. If you're trying to get in, uh, it's probably sold out by this point. I'm not sure. Um, but look for future gatherings on our site, twobrainbusiness.com forward slash seminars. I really believe that it's important to get not just information, but perspective on information. And so I'm going to let uh, other people run seminars where they talk about the stuff that I was talking about in 2014. That's fine. What I am going to do, though, is get the best thinkers in the room together, talk about implementation of strategies, what's actually worked, how they've done it, what spin they've put on it, and then give them a forum. Instead of me being up front you know, and just talking about what I know, what I think, what the data has shown me, I'm going to give them the podium. I'm going to take away the spotlight and say, here is our collective experience. Now, I'm going to also record some of these discussions, but a lot of it uh, I can't record. There's going to be a lot of confidential stuff going on there. There's going to be a lot of questions asked that people don't want uh, their answers recorded. So if you can make it, make it. Look look at the seminar schedule. I don't blame them for not wanting to, uh, the recording done, but I will be presenting some highlights here on the podcast in the next few weeks. Also coming up again, Mark Devine. Uh, he has been collaborating on a project uh, that's going to be huge for us this summer, I think. Um, Jim Wendler, everybody loves this guy, one of the most colorful characters in fitness. I hope he doesn't kill me just for even saying that. Dr. Ryan DeBell of The Movement Fix. Rich Brigatti, how to introduce an obstacle course racing program. Uh, we're going to have how to coach sports teams. If you're in the Two Brain Coaching Up Coach program, you've already got some content on that, but there's a ton more coming how exactly we're coaching sports teams this summer. Uh, and there's a lot more coming up too. So thanks for listening. Uh, throw me a like on iTunes radio if you don't mind. And have a great week.